Well, for those of you who, uh, first of all, Shabbat Shalom to everyone. And for those of you who are um, not familiar with Wanda Faust, um, she is like, I, I think I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Wanda, but, I, but you're like a, a right hand to David Damien, one of, uh, one of the chief intercessors for Watchmen for the Nations. And uh, uh, beloved, I can tell you just what's going on with this ministry between David Damien and Asher and Trader and Mike Bickle, this, this beautiful restoration of the one new man being lived out uh, between the remnant of Israel and the nations and, and really spearheading this family focus. And for those of you not familiar with David Damien, he just encapsulizes the just this just beautiful the father's heart for his family to be one, and uh, I, I would say that in a, in as few words as as possible. And I know Wonder is just exactly the same. She carries that same spirit. So you we're going to be blessed tonight, and uh, we want to just hand it over to you, Wonder. And uh, please share with us, and uh, you can either lead us into prayer, or you can invite us to pray for you, uh, however the Holy Spirit leads you. It is so good to be here with you, Grant, and with Jonathan, and with others. I'm seeing some of the names of uh, some of the watchmen intercessors who are my right hand, and uh, uh, I think they're David's right hand too, and we're all each other's right hands, right? We're praying for one another. Thank you for taking on this 10 days of prayer for uh, the Pentecost. Uh, you gentlemen are, I was gonna say crazy in love with God. I guess that's a good word, right? And you'll do most anything for him. Um, you know, when I was a little girl, uh, I stuttered. I had a bad stuttering and so bad that they put me in special ed classes in school. And, uh, but I had a praying grandma and she would always bring me to her home for sleepovers and she would have me read the Bible and I would stutter through it, but she would just love hearing me read it. And she used to tell me the stories of Jesus and talk about where he lived as a child and where he walked as a man and all the miracles and stories. And as a little girl, I remember having a swing in my back garden. And as I would swing, I would do one of two things. I would either swing and think I was on Dumble the Elephant in Disney World, or I would swing and close my eyes and believe I was in Israel. So even as a wee little girl, God planted in my heart a seed for Israel. And I've been there 35 times. Why would I count? Because the first person ever took me to Israel told me she'd been there nine times. And it blew my mind away that someone would actually go to Israel nine times. But uh, so it just put me on the journey to count every time my feet hit soil. But I absolutely love Israel. I love the people. I love God's heart, the apple of his eye, his people. And it's been a part of my journey since I was a wee little girl to be a part of that. And here I am today, 70 years old, and I'm more in love with Israel than I've ever, ever could be. So I just want to thank you, Grant, for your incredible work with the 911 and Jonathan for your pulling together the body of Christ in prayer over and over again. 
So it's an honor to be here with you today. Um, I've been thinking today about the upper room and what those guys must have been doing up there for those 10 days. You know, it's funny, we don't see anything written in the Bible about what they talked about, what they did, or what was going on. And here we are, 10 days before Pentecost, waiting on God, praying, believing, knowing that God is continuing to do great things, seeking God to pour out his Holy Spirit in measures beyond anything we've ever seen, seeking God to for the fulfillment of that word that we would do greater things on earth than even him when he walked the earth. And so I've been contemplating that and I've done this more than once. I often wonder what were they doing there? And that word, when he said to them, he said, I get my glasses on. When he said to them, uh, just before he, he, he left the earth, he said, do not leave Jerusalem but wait, wait, wait for the gift of my father, or the gift my father promised. This, by the way, is Acts 1, verse 5. Okay. Um, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you know what that word wait means? You know, a lot of times we go to the doctor's office and we wait, or we're waiting for a taxi to come or a drive to pick us up, or we're waiting at the airport and our flight is delayed and we wait and we wait and we wait. And it sometimes is more tiring to wait than it is to move. You know, when you're waiting, you're going, oh, my goodness, every minute feels like an hour and it just drags on. This is not the kind of wait that God was saying here in the Bible. You know, that scripture in, in Isaiah 41, or I mean, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 30, 31, it says, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young man shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faith. What God is saying is not waiting on him does absolute, like God is not saying that waiting on him is going to tire us out. It's the absolute opposite. He is saying that when you wait on me, your strength is renewed. Your, your, you get wings. You can run and not get faint. It's like the waiting is an incredible time of renewal. And that word wait is interesting. Means to bind. And I want to get to bind together. Those who wait upon the Lord. Those who bind together. It also means to, to um, it, it means to anticipate, like uh, in one translation, it says it's anxious anticipation. Now, Jonathan talked about kissing fish. When you come to Newfoundland, we make you official Newfoundlanders. And to make sure you're really serious about becoming a Newfoundlander, we get you to kiss 
a dead codfish. And Jonathan, I can speak for him tonight. He is an official Newfoundlander. And Grant, I would be glad to make you one too when you come to Newfoundland, but be prepared. You'll be kissing a little cock, well, maybe not a little. I might get a big one for you, but you get to kiss it and then you become one of us. But we bind together. Also in Newfoundland, not only do we fish, we moose hunt, okay? And I'm a hunter. I hunt my moose and, and so, when I'm going to hunt my moose, I know I've got to go into the woods and I have to wait. But getting prepared for my moose hunt means getting my gun clean. It means packing my knapsack with proper food. It means having proper attire. It means having my axe and my knives and, and the, the, the sacks to put the moose in after we catch it, you know, and like, while I'm waiting, I'm being prepared. I don't, it's like a lot of times people think when we wait, it, it, it's such a hard thing to do. But every single step that I'm doing in preparing for the moose hunt gets me more and more excited with anxious anticipation of that moose that I'm about to get. It's a, an exciting word, wait. A lot of people find that word wait so hard. You know, they think it's like going out in a pasture, sitting on a stool and waiting for a cow to back into you. It never happens. You know, you don't, you can't do that. Waiting is doing whatever God puts in your hands to do today with anxious anticipation, knowing that you're preparing yourself for God and what God is about to do in your life. So here they are in the upper room and the Lord says, wait, you know, the upper room was like a top floor. I was just in Jordan about four weeks ago and I was in a home and they had an upper room and that upper room was next to my guest room and it had a beautiful cloth roof over it and it had lanterns all around big tables and chairs. It was a place where they could, I could either go out and be alone, or it was a place where everybody could come and eat and we could, you know, get to know one another and, and grow together. And that upper room is absolutely beautiful place. And so they went into the upper room and it says that all the disciples and all the women and mother Mary and 120 they all went into the upper room. Did they sit down for 10 days and wait? No. What I picture, and, and dream with me, okay? I love reading between the lines in the scripture. You know, I love to, to, to bring in the smells and the sounds and what people were thinking and ask God. I said, God, what were they doing in the upper room? And I can see it. I can see Peter going to John and perhaps big rough Peter that fisherman probably breaking down and crying and saying to John John I can't believe that I, I denied him three times he told me I would but I, I I I told him I wouldn't but he kept saying you would and he was right and and I wasn't there for him. And then the other disciples, I could see them sharing how they 
weren't there for him in the very end. And I could see how God melted their hearts together in that word wait to bind together. Something was happening in those 10 days in the upper room that was so powerful. You see, they were they they followed Jesus. They were enthralled by all that he did. They he sent them out. They did miracles. There were so many things, but they had not yet come to a place where they totally had to lean on one another and hear one another. Like their waiting in that upper room became a time where I believe they shared stories. They, 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 they shared, can you remember when? And, and Luke and John and Matthew and Mark, and, and they were all sharing, yes, I remember this, but can you remember that? You know, it was almost like a Holy Ghost debriefing meeting where they could come and what one forgot, another remembered. And the stories became alive. And, and the, the scribe, the pen from heaven, went into their spirits. And, and the stories became so alive in them because they knew now that Christ was the risen Savior. They knew that everything that he had told them had come to pass. And they knew that they knew that they had to remember all that he had done. So in that upper room, they were being fine, fine together. There was a unity. You know, that upper room was a special place, a place where they, they went for the last supper and then they went back again to wait. Did they know what they were waiting for? Did they know what it meant when the Holy Spirit would come upon them? They had no clue what ever whatsoever but they did what god said to do and a lot of times we come together whether it's in prayer or in church or conferences or whatever sometimes we don't know what god is going to do but we do what we're doing because god told us to do it we show up and all of a sudden there it is the Holy Spirit moves in and he starts to shift and grow and change things all around us. And we know that it's out of our hands and it's completely in his and God takes over. You know, when they went in that upper room, it, the Lord said, he said in a few days, he didn't say when. And he said, you know, you don't know the time, you don't know the hour, but it's going to happen. And I think, and you know, this is just my mind and my imagination and me talking to God. But I kind of think that God was waiting for that weight to come into full effect, that they would be bound together, that they would be willing to die for one another, that they would no longer deny or run away or, or become you know, withdrawn from what God has created them to be. And so I believe that there was something going on in that upper room that was knitting that family together in such a way that when God seen how they become one, then he said, now, now they're ready. Now they're ready. 
And when the Holy Spirit came upon them and that room began to shake and the power of God came into that room and tongues of fire upon their heads and they began to speak in tongues and, and there was an impartation of the Holy Spirit. It was not religion. It was the where the tire meets the road. It was right where God wanted to meet them to be everything that they were created to be. And it was so powerful. And, and they went out into the streets and there was merchants from other places and, and they heard them at nine o'clock in the morning and they said, they're drunk. They sound drunk. And some were saying, what is it? They're speaking my language and they're praising God. And it was like this. And, and then Peter stands up and he gives a short sermon or a short teaching of what just happened. And 3,000 people were saved in one day. It was such a powerful time. I love waiting on the Lord. I love with anxious anticipation to trust God that he is going to do what only God can do. And I love being binding together with each and every one of those who believe. It's, it's a gift that God's given us. And when that gift comes into oneness, the blessings pour forth as in Psalm 133. How beautiful is when brethren come together as one. That's when the blessings of God are poured out like the, the, the dew on the mountain, Mount Hermon that goes down over his beard. It's just, ah, you soak in the presence of God. You know, when I became a believer, I was 16 years old. And prior to that, I mean, I'm going to date myself now. I was in the 1967 and on March 26, on Easter Sunday, I gave my heart to the Lord 55 years ago. And I, it gets better and better. But bef and before I became a Christian, I was a go-go dancer. You may not even know what that is, but I mean, you know, I was wild, but I had a praying grandmother who would not let go. And she prayed and prayed and prayed. And I believe that was my protection that I didn't get in a lot more trouble than I did. But when I was 16 years old, I became a believer and I had such a powerful encounter with Christ. It was just like um, I had all this story written about my life and not of all of it was pretty, but it was like when I said, God, take my life. It was like he turned the page of the story of my life. And there before me was a clean white sheet that he now was going to write the story with me. And it was a beautiful encounter. And it was in the Salvation Army Church that that happened. I was raised in a Protestant church. I saved in a Salvation Army church. I got married in a Baptist church. My, I, I went to a Pentecostal church with a, a friend of mine shortly after, and I seen something that I thought was absolutely wild. There were people who were speaking in tongues, and back then we all wore hats, and I can remember one lady, she was praying in tongues, and her hat was going back and forth, back and forth, and I looked at her, and I it scared me, scared the living daylights out of me. And I kind of looked at her and I thought, 
God, she looks like she's drunk. I've seen lots of drunk people. I said, she really looks like she's drunk. And when I got outside of the service, I, I said to my friend, I said, was that woman drinking? And she said, no, go home, she said, and read Acts 1. So I went home and I read my Bible, Acts 1. And I read the scripture of what happened that day when the Holy Spirit filled the room and they became witnesses unto God. And my salvation and becoming one with Christ was so powerful that I wanted everything. And I still want everything. I'm, I want everything that God has. And when I read that scripture, I said, God, I want this. Even though that woman looked absolutely ridiculous, I want it. If that's you, I want it. And it wasn't long after, because of the desire of my heart, the Holy Spirit baptized me. And I began to speak in tongues. Now, being raised in a, in a different denomination, they never ever spoke on these things. So I didn't have a clue what it was. I just knew it was real. And I knew that I, I, at the combination of my salvation and the Holy Spirit and all the excitement in my spirit, I was just completely turned inside out, upside down. You know, I, I was one of those crazy people that came to the Lord and there was no one safe in front of me. I had to tell everybody about Jesus. And I still try my best to do that as well now. But I was really wild at that point. But when I began to speak in tongues, I kept saying one particular phrase over and over. And it was coolly. And I thought, okay, in that scripture, it says that when they spoke in tongues, they went and there was people in other languages who understood it. So I thought, okay, Kuvali. Okay, I figured it must have been Latin. This is my ignorance at the time. I knew the Catholic Church preached in Latin, so I thought that Latin was the Bible language. I didn't know it was Hebrew and Greek. I thought Latin was the Bible language. So I went to my friends who spoke Latin and I said, is Kuvali Latin? And none of them ever heard of it. And if I met somebody who spoke another language, I say, is Kuvali your language? And I, I asked everybody, is Kuvali was her language? I started going to bookstores and getting, you know, the little dictionaries where they uh, have French, English, German, da, 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 da. And I tried to figure out what Kuvali would be spelt like. I went through so many language books, couldn't find it. And I, I just kind of let it go. But for almost 30 years, I prayed this many times. You know, the gift of the spirit of speaking in tongues, it says all the other gifts are for us to build the body. But it says when we pray in the spirit, it edifies you. It kind of stirs you up. Like when I pray in the spirit, it just stirs my spirit up to be more with Christ. And so I kind of went into my closet and prayed in the spirit, and that was it. I'm not one of those people who, who leads a meeting and says, okay, everybody pray in the spirit now together. I just don't do that. I, I'm more of a closet praying in the spirit type person, and that's okay. But I kept praying this coolly, coolly. So over this, I want, I'm sharing this story because I want, I think this is a modern day rendition of what happened 2000 years ago in my life. 
So over those 30 year periods, I've had dreams and visions and uh, God started opening doors. And I had a real call to the Arctic where there was many rapes, murders, suicides to the Inuit people. And I won't go into the details, but I, I had dreams and the Lord opened doors and um, I ended up in a community called Nain, Labrador, where um, there was unlimited, I can't even count the number of people that would be in prison just to save their lives from killing themselves. One year, there was 23 suicides and a couple of murders. And this is a community of 1,200 people. The RCMP would have to uh, have, they do a six-month shift and then they'd have to leave names and another shift would come in because it was so mentally draining in this community. And this was the place where God sent me. And so over the years, I did quite a bit of work in the Arctic and, and that connected me with Watchmen and, and Aglow and other international ministries working with the Inuit people, seeing many, many miracles. But 30 years after, in Pond Inlet, which is about 500, I believe, kilometers, and I, I could be wrong in that, from the North Pole. It's way, way up there. Um, there was a little Anglican church. The temperature was 60 below, and when it's 60 below, there's no wind. The smoke goes straight up the chimney into the sky. And this little Anglican church and, and James and Louis Ariak were there. And they were leading worship. It was a youth group. And they were singing. And, and as they were singing, uh, the drummer was going, dun, 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 dun. it was slow kind of music. And all of a sudden, there was a wind that came up on that place. But before the wind came, Louie, who was up on the platform leading the worship, stepped down from the platform and was walking back and forth the platform on the floor below. Now, I just want to tell you that I got, I'm telling you this, but I was given the cassette to what had happened just days after this had happened. And as I was listening to the cassette, this is what I heard Louis say, Holy Spirit, Come, Holy Spirit, come. Kuvali, Lord. Kuvali, Lord. This, these were Inuit people, and they're speaking in Nuktatuk. And she's saying, Kuvali, Lord. Kuvali, Lord. Even as I'm telling you the story right now, the hair is standing up on the back of my neck. I've been praying 30 years in the spirit. Kuvali, Kuvali. And with that, the wind of the spirit came and shook that building. And, and all of a sudden, they realized that the Holy Spirit had come. At, no, at first they thought that the PA had kind of, because you know, the PA was like, a, you could hear the crashing, you could hear the wind. And they thought there's something wrong with the PA. So they tried to turn it down and it wouldn't turn down. So they unplugged it. And the noise got louder and louder and louder. And they started crying, fire, fire, fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
This happened about 20 years ago. They, in Pond Inlet, after that, they went through their houses and they cleaned out everything that was not godly and they burnt everything on the ice. And I know uh, you've probably seen Pond Inlet on George Otis. He did some um, videos and stories of revival and moves of God all over the world. A few years later, I was flying into Israel on one of my trips, and it was at a time when there were so many suicide bombers, um, you know, that they would attach the bombs, and they were, there were so many things happening in Israel. And I was in Toronto, and um, there was a thunder and lightning store, and so they delayed the plane, and I got to talk to this guy next to me, and I knew he was Jewish. It on the the keeper and he, you know, he was in sweats and he was he was a nice person, and it, God led me to tell him the story about the Arctic and Kuvali and all of these crazy things, and he was really loved it. He wanted to know why I was going to Israel. He said, "Everybody's leaving Israel, and you're going into Israel," you know. And I told him we. I'm going in, I love the people and, and people have given me money and medicines and things to bring in. And we just want to know that they're not alone. So he took this all in. And when I told him about Kuvli, he said, that's very interesting. And he took out a piece of paper and a pen and he dropped all the vowels, which they do in, in the Jewish language. Now I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but it was something like that, that he said, that is actually Kuvala or something like that. Okay. I don't know. I'm not saying it right. I know. And uh, he said, that's Jewish. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he gave me this look. He said, it's the unexplainable mysteries of God. That's what it means. You know, us preparing and praying for Pentecost, this is what I'm longing for the unexplainable mysteries of God to be released in the nations, you know, and God has a plan that goes far beyond anything that we can dream or imagine. And if I'm talking to an audience here right now, seek God for everything he has to give you. Don't limit yourself. Don't close your mind and think, oh my goodness, I'm going to look foolish, or that doesn't sound right, or what have you. I mean, I could have shut the door as soon as I seen that lady in her hat going all over the place and said, I don't want any part of that. It just is crazy. But I'll be crazy for God. I introduced Graham, uh, Grant and Jonathan as crazy. I think it's a good word because they are, you know, crazy in love with God. You know, it, it says that we're uh, a peculiar people, you know, a chosen generation, you know, that we will do these crazy things with God. But God wants us to think outside the box. He wants us to wait. He wants us to wait to bind together. I, I'm, I know COVID has been bad when it comes to us not getting together in churches, but, you know, I've gotten to know Grant and Jonathan so well over these Zoom calls. And I'm looking forward to getting to know the better. 
And I'm looking for the day when we can all be in the same place for probably a weekend where we can wait upon the Lord with anxious anticipation for the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and to show us what the next part of our journey is together. There's something that's being released. And you know what happened on Pentecost? completely turned Peter inside out, upside down. He didn't care if the soldiers came and got him when he started to preach. He was ready to lay down his wife. And do you know 11 out of the 12 disciples all died a martyr's death? Every single one of them died a martyr's death because they knew what they knew what they knew was truth. And the Holy Spirit gave them the strength, like in that scripture again, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, I love that. I love that. Whenever I go to a conference or go to a retreat, I used to come home and I used to say, oh, I can't wait to get my own bed. I can't wait to get home so I can get recouped. And all of a sudden I realized that I was using my mouth and preconceived ideas to rob me of everything that God did for me in that conference. What should happen when we come together, we shouldn't come away weak and tired. We should come away better than the day we arrived. When we go to church, we should go in and come out better than when we first went in the door. Like every opportunity to wait on God. When we have a prayer meeting, we should come in. Yes, we may be carrying burdens. Yes, we may be carrying a weight. But we should come out of a prayer meeting rejoicing. We should come out of a prayer meeting believing and trusting and knowing that God is able to do far beyond anything we can dream or imagine. So that's my teaching today. I know you've given me more time, but I, I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. We need to pray for the church that God will open the doors. So many people have stopped going to church. They've got used to being home on Sundays. And, you know, we need that binding together again. We need that time of waiting on God together again. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be like Peter. I want to see the church like Peter. I want to see the church on fire. It said that at day 3000 were added to the church, but it said every day after that more and more and more were added. We've got, um, we've got the goal movement, which is looking for a billion souls. And, and everybody's talking about revival. Everybody is talking about many coming into the kingdom. So my prayer is that we would simply wait on God and see what only God can do. We were entering into, I believe, a season of the clashing of the kingdoms like never before. I was a young person headed down the road in 1967. 
That's when the charismatic movement, that's when um, uh, there was a move of God in the Anglican church. That's when the Jesus movement started. I'm praying that there will be another movement now, far greater than even what we know came into in the 60s and from former revivals. Thank you.